This is a recording of the session on LGBT education in schools at Ideas for Freedom 2019. You'll hear from two speakers who will discuss how school workers, LGBT campaigners and others can build alliances to fight for LGBT education in schools and against bigotry. The two speakers are Kakan Qureshi of Birmingham South Asians LGBT and Duncan Morrison from the NEU. Testing that now with even now, well, there are loathsome individuals like Angela Ledsom and Esther McVeigh who say they, they think it's up to parents uh, whether their children are withdrawn from LGBT lessons. But even within the Tory party, there are prominent Tories who say, like Justin Greening, for instance, who says quite clearly, no, children should learn about this. And if you compare the Labour Party, where the loathsome, I'm going to use that word too many times, like Roger Godsiff has said that he supports what the parents are doing in Birmingham, it's very much an isolated case. I mean, we mustn't be complacent, and I'll come back to why we mustn't be complacent in a bit, but it is worth noting that 30 years, the context has shifted significantly. It's also... Um, so just to finish on Clause 28, um, it came out... The, la the Labour movement was very mu much part of the, or the left of the Labour movement. Tony Benn was one of the very clear people who fought against it. The left fought very clearly against it. And there was a tradition that had been started most... or had just gone before, where lesbian gays support the minors had fed into a tradition where... The NUM had moved uh, progressive policy at the Labour Party conference. So the, there was a tradition of the Labour movement and socialists standing on the side. And I think that's important because I'm going to come back to why that's important in a bit. Um, so the, the um, Section 28 was repealed by the Scottish Parliament, one of the first things the Scottish Parliament did, under the Ethical Standards in Public Life Act in 2000 and in the rest of the UK in 2003. So it was still in place in 2003. It's worth bearing in mind. Um, whilst I've been introducing this new curricula that I talked about at the beginning of my school, I've been struck by a number of things. Firstly, um, contrary to the, the news coverage, it certainly isn't exclusively Muslim parents who are opposing this in my school. There are uh, parents from African backgrounds, Christ African Christian backgrounds, uh, and Afro Caribbean backgrounds too. Now, I have to say, there haven't been many white British parents voicing their concerns, but that's because my school has virtually no white British people in it. I have one white British child in my class of 30, so it's not because I think that the white British are much more progressive than anybody else. I don't think that. I'm also uh, struck that when I've been actually, actually going to parents' meetings and discussing this with parents, to my surprise, homosexuality hasn't been the thing that has come up most. What they don't want is teaching of sex at all. And I think we have to be very clear that what will follow if we lose this battle is not... It won't end there. If, our, if we lose, and it would be terrible, the... LGBT plus part of this agenda, they will keep pushing it, they will keep pushing yeah. back, and they will keep pushing back, and they will keep pushing back. So, 
it's all um, it's all very dangerous. And I think um, we know that good relationship sex education is a powerful tool in helping children having sex, safe, respectful relationships, being comfortable and happy with who they are, being able to explore their developing sexualities as they grow older. It seems to me, and I'm sure... Uh, I said I wouldn't take 15, and I clearly am, aren't I? Sorry. Uh, seems to me, and I'm sure uh, Koresh was uh, clarified this, but the protest in Birmingham School seems not to have been initiated about the new curriculum I'm talking about. It comes from the No Outsiders in Our School scheme pioneered by Andrew Moffat, which is a fantastic scheme, and I would recommend people to buy the book and look at the book. It's an extremely good scheme. It's a scheme which uses pivots on the 2010 Equality Act to ensure really inclusive education. It addresses in an age-sensitive way, with age-sensitive text, issues around allowing people to be themselves and make their own life choices. In that, it it has text which depicts same-sex relationships, children who want to cross-dress and many other issues. Um, It's powerful and valuable. I've I've done a number of these texts in uh, my assemblies. None of the children were shot by them. None of them come up to me and say, this is disgusting, why on earth are you teaching me this? What are you talking about? This doesn't happen. The children don't feel that. Um, So we should defend and support it. I think on the the initial opposition from Birmingham, and I may be wrong about this, you may clarify, does seem to have come from conservatives within the Muslim community. But despite the press portrayal, I reiterate, it's far from just Muslims who are objecting. While the middle ground may have shifted since Section 28, the same reactionary coalition, the Catholic Church, parts of the Catholic Church, uh, right-wing and conservative parts of the Jewish uh, um, community, have all team lining up to fight against this. It's not a clash of cultures here. This is a clash of cultures between people who are progressive and people who are conservative, not of different sections of different religions. Um, and it's and not only that, there were just simply just right-wing homophobes who aren't religious at all who don't want this to happen. Um, and I think they're emboldened by the Brexit landscape, which has allowed the discourse, discourses that were pushed basically underground to reappear. This constant mantra of, oh, we're not being allowed to say that, has now created a way of saying virtually anything, no matter how disgusting, because, oh, I'm not allowed to say that anymore. As long as you say that afterwards, it lets you off what you've just said, doesn't it? It's like the old, I'm not a racist, which means that you could get away with saying you're racist thing beforehand. I'm not a racist. Um, And that's part of what seems to be going on to me. And I think we need to confront this exactly as we did with Section 28, by building a coalition with the Labour movement and socialists at the heart of it. In the past, some sections of the left have fumbled issues where reactionary sections of the Muslim community have been involved. They've been too willing to accept imams and conservative religious characters as spokespeople for the whole community. Whilst they rightly wanted to stand up to anti-Muslim bigotry, they've ducked confronting the reactionary elements within Muslim communities. I'm pleased to say that this does not seem to have been so much the case with the Birmingham protests. My trade union, the National Education Union, I mean, Pat and I were sat as the first statement on this came out, I think, looking at it 
thinking, oh my God, what are they going to have said about this? And both went, actually, that's not too bad. We can live with that. They have got basically the right policy, um, which is led by people who consider themselves on the left, have issued good statements about this, supporting the school workers of schools. And while it's true the Labour Party has not censured Roger Godseth over his comments, it's clear that, I mean, his views are well outside the mainstream of the Labour Party and are seen as such and widely condemned. Um, and I think that tells you something else about the shift from 1988. So I think what I'm, we need to do is make sure that the Labour movement and educationalists and socialists and trade unionists all own this issue. And we make it quite clear that we're going to stand absolutely, firstly for uh, the uh, long, um, for the uh, no outsiders in our school. Um, secondly, uh, for the new RSE curriculum, because um, one of the although the government has introduced it, it's worth saying they've been incredibly cowardly about saying, when this came up in Birmingham schools, you didn't find government ministers saying, well, actually, this is basically what we've been saying. We're passing legislation to do this. They all hit, hit the ground and let those schools and those heads and teachers uh, stand alone. And I think that was disgusting. I think that is abhorrent. Um, so we need to make sure that our party, our movements, we are clearly uh, on side with this. Um, and I don't think it needs saying why. I mean, I think the people in this room know that um, education which allows children freedom uh, to understand themselves, to develop themselves, to become themselves is what we're all about. And that, in a sense, does link to the stuff about testing. It's about reclaiming a curriculum that allows young citizens to develop and be themselves in a liberated way. Um, and I think I'll leave it there. We're now going to hear from uh, Kakan. Hi, my name is Kakan Qureshi, as you can see. Um, just a quick whistle-stop tour as to what's going on in my life. Um, as already said, I'm a Stonewall LGBT school role model, diversity role model, writer, activist, campaigner, community leader, and uh, pioneering activist for the gay Asian community as well now. So um, <laughs> I'm adding a lot to my list. But um, basically, I've become quite involved in the No Outsiders protests from the pro-LGBT perspective. Um, and the reason is because I wear the voluntary hat as Stonewall LGBT school role model, and it enables me to go into schools and colleges, and I talk about my life and how I try to reconcile my faith with my sexual orientation. And then I just thought, with these protests going on, I just thought, how does that impact on me going into schools and others as well. So that's how I became involved because I was simply tweeting to the responses that were happening on TV and um, the BBC picked up on that, invited me in to speak at the big the big question with Nikki Campbell um, and then my phone has not stopped ringing since then. That's a media request which is really great because it raises the profile. What I've also learned is that although we have equality and same-sex legislation across the board, it's not transferring very well to BAME, Black, Asian, minority, ethnic communities. I've always said it's from day one. Um, so this, to me, really highlights the fact how my two aspects of my identity have clashed quite considerably here because one of the other labels that I wear is gay and the other one is Muslim. So to me, I look at it that I'm from Birmingham and I come from what is allegedly a multiculturally diverse city, but clearly 
there are pockets of this community which are somewhat very much conservative and some of them are quite orthodox. Um, and that does involve other faiths as well. But those faiths, unfortunately, you've got Christian concern involved, Christian voices. I heard about the Jewish community being involved. But the two individuals who are involved from the Jewish community are very much ultra-Orthodox. And in fact, the majority of the Jewish community have stepped away from those particular individuals. So even though we keep saying it's a Muslim issue, it is, I would say it's a predominantly Muslim issue because they're the ones who are leading the narrative on these protests. So I just want to sort of like um, step back a little bit and touch on this bit of research that I did, if I can get it. Thank you. So, yeah, with my research, because obviously when I was coming out all them years ago at the height of HIV, AIDS, Section 28, I was trying to research, you know, because I've heard so much in Islam and from a Muslim background that being LGBT is haram or forbidden. Um, so when I was coming out, trying to come to terms with myself, I did my research, looked at the Bible and the Quran, trying to look for answers. Unfortunately, what I did find was half a dozen verses um, which kind of looked at the story of Lut. Is anyone familiar with that particular story? What I would suggest in terms of your um, education <laughs> is that, you know, because you are going to face this from a number of people, is that go and research that particular story find out your perspectives, what you understand from it, and the themes and the nuances and the issues that are involved in that particular story, because I'm getting trolled quite a lot lately from a number of people who claim that they're Muslim, give me their perspective on what that story means, because that is the one that everybody references when they sort of condemn homosexuality. But I ask people to look at the metaphorical rather than the literal, and look at the other issues, and the other issues is about rape, desire, greed, power, corruption, etc., so that's where I come from. This information here um, was given to me a couple of years back when I was writing an article um, about what it means to be LGBT and of faith. And as you can see, according to a gay Quranic facilitator within the Quran, the Holy Book of Islam, there are 114 chapters, 6,236 verses, 77,943 words, and 323,620 letters. And in amongst that, not one single mention of the word homosexuality or homosexuals at all. So just bear that in mind. But what we then have is... What we have as well in... When we say that we're Muslims and this is what the Quran says, I always sort of challenge that and say, is that the Quran and the religion of Islam or is that tradition and culture... Because we have to learn to differentiate between the three, religion, culture, and tradition. So who is familiar with Islam and anything, any aspects of it? <laughs> who, who sort of knows about cultures, of, uh, cultures, differences in culture? In, in, in any of the cultures, like Sikhism, Hinduism? And again, for, for yourselves, because if you're coming from, like, if you're teaching or you're educators or academics and you have a multiculturally diverse um, school or academic institution, I would strongly recommend that in this day and age you go off and read, do a bit of your own homework and research, because 
what Duncan said already, he's already faced parents who are sharing their concerns, and they're saying in your school that it's not so much about LGBT, but it's more about um, sex per se, whereas what I'm facing constantly is the LGBT indoctrination, as they call it. They say that I'm on a mission and that I'm quite evil, and literally I've just today I've tweeted that if I'm striving for equality and I'm being labelled stupid, evil, a bully, um, you know, a, a militant activist, then so be it, because that's what equality means for me. We have to go through these struggles and conflicts to achieve what we want. So I just want you to reflect on this picture. That's me there. Um, and this is um, Birmingham, inner city, comprehensive, circa 1917s. And as you can see, we were very diverse there. There was Sikhs, Hindus, Jews, Christians, the whole spectrum of faiths and religions there. And we got on well. I mean, even though we're, I'm a child there, we got on well. Having a faith-based system did not really affect us in terms of our education systems, what we were learning. The main thing was we went to school, we did what we had to do, go home, and any kind of level of practices that we had, we learned it within our home. My father was one of the founder members of Birmingham Central Mosque, so that was a biggie at the time for me. Um, so coming through with that, I was somewhat shy, but I had no words to describe how I felt. I just felt I was very much an outsider and very much different, and how different I was I didn't realise until much, much later. But again, that is Birmingham in the 1870s, and that shocks a lot of people today because they, they feel that Birmingham is either sort of one community or the other. Um, somebody who's a teacher in Wales said, can I share that with my school pupils, please? Because it highlights that at one time the UK, and in particular the city of Birmingham, was multicultural in that respect. Um, this is me again. <laughs> when I was a college student at um, a drama college, and that was my first proper experience of meeting people who are LGBT plus. I really, again, I didn't know who I was. I was exploring myself, trying to make sense of it all, and thinking, what do I do with this? You know, because I thought, if I had a relationship with somebody um, at the height of AIDS, HIV, and I had developed that, what do I say to my parents? I carried an awful lot of religious guilt, so I tried to abstain. I think at that point I would say I was a little bit maybe asexual or bisexual. I wasn't even too sure how to label myself, because I just thought I needed to express myself. Having something like the No Outsiders programme, I think would have really helped me a lot, because it means that I could explore my feelings, identify what I was going through, possibly have support and assurances from teachers, which, as you can see in that previous picture, uh, Mrs Kent was my kind of role model. She urged me on and to speak up about whatever it, I was going through, but I didn't, because back then in the 70s, Homosexuality was not a phrase that you would bandy around quite easily, especially in schools and especially coming from an Islamic background. But as you can see, we're all kind of uh, very diverse then as well. So I've been out for 28, yeah, 28 years with my partner, 27 years. In fact, it was my partner which galvanised me to come out to my mum. Uh, we've been together all these years and we've gone through a lot of racism, discrimination, homophobia, etc. Um, and a few years back, because of my own personal issues that I was going through with my family, um, 
I call it dormant homophobia because I didn't realise that my brother, who I thought was very accepting of me, um, turned around and said, I can help you financially if you split up. Uh, split up, sell your house, and then that way I will support you. You're welcome back into the family fold. So I call that dormant homophobia because even though I came out all the years ago thinking everything is fine, it literally was a bolt out the blue. So going back a few years, I set up this uh, South Asian social support group called Finding a Voice. Um, it's only a small group, voluntary led by myself. I do all the PR and everything. Um, last week we celebrated our fifth anniversary, which is yay, great for me. Um, but it also enabled me to start exploring what it means to be gay and Muslim in the communities today and to listen to other people's uh, experiences, especially from the South Asian community. And I realized that whether they're Sikh or Hindu or atheist or what have you, we're all very quite similar. So I started writing about homophobia within South Asian communities and Islamophobia within what I call mainstream communities and looking at how the country is somewhat divided, very much so, and I think Brexit compounded that. Um, so that led me to become a writer and speaker about it, and I think with these protests, it kind of really brought it home that we have so much, so much work to, to do that we should never stop doing it, and we can't be complacent. Um, and even in schools, like the, it's quite strange because now I'm friends with Andrew Moffat over at Parkfield and Sarah Hewitt-Clarkson over at Anderton. And it's quite strange how both of them have responded in different ways. Sarah is such a strong woman. She's carried on with his uh, programme as such. It's not really a programme. What they do is they talk about it on a daily basis within the school. And uh, there is a BBC Asian Network debate which was recorded last week. If you can find it, Listen to the last 20 minutes because that highlights how good that education system is within that school because they talk about equality and the children speak up about how their, their perceptions on the world. Um, whereas over at um, Parkfield, Andrew and his colleagues, they're in consultations with the parents, but I think the parents are unfortunately for, the, well, unfortunately for us, but fortunately for them, they are winning. They, from what I understand, the programme has been shelved the books have been removed. Um, they're not even allowed to talk about LGBT within that particular school. So for me, it does become really emotive and it triggers a lot of emotions because I'm thinking, how can my school, not my school, my city, have such a major conflict outside primary school gates where I would think that children are the most safest place to be? Where they keep saying that I'm indoctrinating the children I feel that what we're trying to show them is that you've got to be diverse and willingly accept other people. They keep saying that I'm the one who's being the bully, I'm the one who's um, causing the problems, and I'm the one with all the issues sort of trying to brainwash the children. This is what brainwashing does, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> This is a number of us individuals who came out um, Birmingham Pride 2015. Um, that was a big thing for us because I knew over the years that LGBT Muslims access, well not necessarily Muslims but South Asians, access Pride but either independently or with an organisation and hardly ever do we go in as a crowd and that was a big thing for us. You know, individuals came in and says we'll do it with you Kakan because you're, you lead us and we'll do it with you. So that was a level of solidarity. And again, we had some merchandise. 
And I call it, and please, if you use social media, hashtag Asian Revolution, to show that you're in support of the gay Asian movement as well, and allies too as well. And again, that was um, a couple of years ago. And again, yet again, 28 years after I've come out, it's, as you can see, there's only a few of us there. It's such a big barrier for us to come out. I'm quite fortunate my story is... Um, I've been out so many years, I couldn't care less anymore, really. But for others, it, it can be quite extreme. Some people have been ostracised or disowned. Um, some people um, self-harm. Some people sort of, um, you know, even though they come away from India or Pakistan or other Muslim state countries, it's so entrenched in them that being gay is haram. They can't shake it off. They end up having counselling and being on medication. This is uh, London Pride 2017, and again, that was a historical moment in, in our history. That was, again, the first time 100 gay South Asians came together en masse to show that we exist. And again, referring to no outsiders, this is what we're talking about when we're saying about diversity. We're trying to show within the schools that, you know, being gay is not just a white heter uh, thing, it's, it's across the board, across the globe. Uh, Last year, I organised the South Asian LGBT conference, the first one of its kind, again to try and empower and inspire those who are feeling um, somewhat neglected or isolated or, yet again, outsiders. We touched on mental health, sexuality, religion, faith, visibility and human rights. We even had the first prince of India who had come out as gay um, speaking to us via Skype, which is an achievement itself. And then earlier this year, this is the one of the most proudest events that I organised. It was the LGBTIQ plus Intersectionality and Islam Conference. I was buzzing, I was on a high, it was back in February, everything was going great. Eventually the communities are now talking about faith and sexual orientation and identity. And on the back of that, I'm buzzing away and now outside has happened with the protests. And suddenly my head was spinning and I just thought, what the hell is going on here? Um, it's really unfortunate that some of those individuals who are involved in the protests come from what I would deem as my community, i.e. Muslim. But again, when you look at it wholly, not only is it seems to be like a Muslim versus white LGBT community, but it also begins to look at a brown versus white, and it also looks at maybe extremism versus progressives, because the main lead protesters over with the No Outsiders Programme protests um, are somehow, strangely enough, affiliating themselves with the likes of Nick Griffin, <laughs> Katie Hopkins, and other extremists, and they just think it's fine. Um, Shaquille Afsar, who I have been communicating with, you must know of Shaquille Afsar. He keeps saying that it's not, he's not homophobic, but clearly the people that he's sharing the platform with are. And he shared his platform with Katie Hopkins on Eid of all days. But he was showing, showing that they are not that they are much more tolerant than what we are. Um, that was bizarrely enough. Um, but again, it's something that I find that I'm constantly challenging because what is he perceives as being Muslim? To me, I just think I need to question it a bit more. Uh, there we are with Andrew leading Birmingham Pride Parade. Again, this is, uh, she wouldn't mind me saying, Saima Razak. She's uh, very much a Pakistani lesbian woman. She also is involved in sort of trying to um, support us against the protesters um, because she, she's from that particular community, Alam Rock, and Alam Rock in Birmingham is very much um, predominantly what we would say Mirpur community. Does anybody know what Mirpur is? Yeah. 
Yeah, which is very much agricultural rural. So yeah, again, that adds another layer to the whole sort of um, protest um, because their mindset is different to, uh, to more progressive, much more ultra-Orthodox conservative. Um, Shaquille, I have to mention Shaquille because he's only 30-something years old, born and bred in this country. Um, he's gone through the British education system um, and he feels that if his child was at whatever age of consent identified as LGBT, he will show them the door. And I said, but that will make that child homeless. He says, I don't care. It's not my responsibility. So if that isn't homophobia, I don't know what is. Just finally, that's my uh, poem that I wrote a couple of years back. Do you want me to read it out? Or are you okay? Read it out. Freedom of speech incites racial and religious hatred. Freedom of movement creates borders on immigration. Compassionate Christians and indoctrinated Islamists close communication and cause culture clash. My freedom is a contradiction. My freedom is a contradiction. Ban the burqa, burn the bra, bless the bikini. What I wear is not my choice, is by choice, is whose choice. My freedom is a contradiction. My freedom is a contradiction. Spare the children, ensnare the children, enslave the children, save our children. As adults, we are corrupted. My freedom is a contradiction. Social change through politician, let's not talk about education. Bureaucrats impose NHS oppression. Aspiring benefit claimants feel frustration. My freedom is a contradiction. I think I'm done. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, we're now going to have some time for questions, discussions. Uh, if you just indicate, um, I'll try and keep it balanced agenda so I may rejig the order. Um, so first off, uh, I'll take Raquel. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you to the speakers. Um, when I saw the pictures of the West Highlands protests, uh, something that really stuck with me was these kind of like placards that the parents had that said, what about our human rights? And then between parentheses saying parents. Um, and I think that this is perhaps something that we don't talk about enough which is that like parents shouldn't be able to say everything that happens in their children's lives and this comes like in various other political issues that we face like vaccination or like whether um, children should be taught about like evolutionary theory in school and whether children should be taught about sex and about homosexuality and all those sorts of things and I think that that's something that we should be tackling that um, Parents don't own children, children are not property. They shouldn't be able to decide everything that happens to their children. Also because when their children come out of the closet and they take them out, the state is going to have the responsibility for those children in. And the state should also have the responsibility to be able to tell those children that it's, it's fine to be gay and that. And well, all of that. And just another, very small comment is that it really hit me how important this stuff is the other day when there was the assault to the, to the lesbian couple in Camden. Um, when I was like reading the news and I thought, you know, this is horrible, but it, it, it happens all the time. And when I saw that, at least one of those boys was, was my little brother's age. And this shouldn't be happening. Like children should not be um, 
should not be involved in this, in this type of crime at all. Uh, but it is because because also because the far the far right is, is is on the rise, and I find it quite kind of ironic that lots of times in left wing meetings that we go to. Um, I'm from Harringay, and we had a meeting organised by the Labour Party about about trans rights, and that was mostly run by kind of like radical feminists, and that they just kind of like used Muslim people as scapegoats to their own transphobia and their own LGBT phobia the whole time, just saying like, oh, but what if there's a Muslim woman in this in this refuge, and then there's a trans woman that comes in there? What about Muslim parents? Um, one like that's complete scapegoating. That's not that's not the whole the whole community. As you said, it's um, a few more conservative religious people that kind of like represent that. It's also like parents shouldn't have to accept that at all, depending independent of their religion. Thank you, Tracy. Yeah. So just a couple of things. Firstly, I just you know can't stress how I just think this is just so important. You know this discussion and. You know, this discussion with schools that we have with, with children because children are the, they're very open aren't they I work in private school they're like sponges they're just very accepting and, and, and it's, it's basically it's parents that have that influence and we have to like equip our children with that resilience and that you know be able to, to you know just be themselves basically and so in, in my son's school my son's going into year six and there's a, a a young boy in, in um, James' class that he's been with James all the way through school um, and two years ago um, he self-identified as, as a boy. He started in nursery with James as a little girl. Now parents are amazing and very encouraging and very kind of accepting and just you know, want Max to be Max, basically, and the school itself is, is brilliant and very, very supportive, and which is how it should be. Um, and because the children have known Max all his life, then the children are very, very accepting as well. Now, I'm really good friends with, with Max's mum, and her concern is when Max goes to secondary school, and she's already panicking about mm -hmm. this now, is what's going to happen when Max goes to secondary school and which secondary school does she choose because he's all right where he is but when he goes to secondary school what are those you know are those children going to have are they going to have had the same education you know as, as James's school has so this is why it needs to be across the board everywhere and um, so you know it's just so so important the other thing that I just want to touch on is about um in you know basically about all you know, what you're talking about, about parents not having that control. I work in school with um, a really large um, proportion of um, gypsy Roman traveller children whose parents forbid them to be involved in any kind of um, discussion around um, sexual education or anything like that. But you know, and it's uh, for me, yes, that's their culture, and but it's a safeguarding issue as well, like for me, and I think it's just. But you know, it, it, it's, it's very you know, disturbing for me that these children are kind of not armed again with that resilience and that knowledge and, and whatever. So I totally, totally agree with you know the points that have been made. Thank you very much. It was great to be sure. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, what I wanted to ask is uh, well, first of all, you know, I'm very saddened and disappointed here that uh, Mr. Muffer apparently has been forced to back down.
that's a real blow. But you know, it's good that the head at Anderton School um, is standing her ground. I understand she's a very tough, a very tough cookie. Um, but do you feel that the reason Mr. Moffat has backed down, because he was the one who actually developed now outside, yes. wasn't he? Yes. Um, is, is because of lack of support he's had, and in, in particular, I mean, I come from Birmingham, I, I live in Birmingham. Um, it struck me that the left in Birmingham, the Labour movement in Birmingham, hasn't run around to the degree it should have done. And I think part of that, I don't know what your thoughts on this are, part of that can be traced back to the Trojan Horse business, where large sections of the left nailed their colours to the mast, simply saying, you know, I think a very one-sided and simplistic way, that it was simply a hoax, there was no truth in it at all, just an Islamophobic hoax. Actually, there was some truth, although there was lots of exaggerations, and I'm sure Islamophobes were using it for their own purposes, and the original document was indeed a forgery, but actually what it described going on in those schools was true. And if you read, as I have, the um, email group that some of those some people behind that scheming, and whether it was a plot, but behind no. that campaign. It's horrible, not just homophobic stuff, but anti-Semitic mm. stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's horrible stuff. The idea of those people teaching in our school now being defended by the left is, is pretty horrible. But I want to come back and ask you, I mean, it is the case that Shaquille, what's his name? Shaquille Afsar. Yeah, who's not even a parent at the school. He's a, you know, he's a sort of professional agitator. Um, but the fact he's been able to get away with it and not simply be denounced, and the fact that that scumbag Godsif, you know, is filmed supporting him, um, do you actually feel that the left and the Labour movement should be doing more about this and should be rallying around more strongly? I mean, I'm struck by the fact there isn't that, that Godsif got no more than a rap over the knuckles, mm. as I understand it. Which, I mean, he should have had the whip removed. I think I think the only time I always say for years I've always said that the only time Birmingham hits the headlines is when we do something bad <laughs> you know, unfortunately and again I think again for me looking in I think it's the councillors they're trying to appease the, the majority of the community yeah. rather than sort of side with us as the LGBT community and it's really unfortunate that Shaquille is being allowed to have that narrative and lead the protests and that's why I really I applaud Sarah because She's been resolute in saying there's no programme, we're just going to educate because if I don't educate on these issues, the protected characteristics under the Equality Act, mm -hmm. I'm discriminating and I'm breaking the law, which is her mantra throughout all this and this fantastic. Um, Shaquille on the other side, they've, they've, they've started calling it the Shaquille Show <laughs> because nobody else can get a word in edgeways. I've actually tried to sp speak to the parents, in particular the, the mums, um, and I'll never forget that, that day I was facing them and I said, look, I've read the narratives, of, I've heard so much, I want to hear it from you as a mum, what it is. Every time that mum tried to speak, Shaquille interjected. And that's why I agree with Sarah, because she says there's patriarchy and misogyny at play here as well. And again, the story of how all this stemmed about, I don't know if you know about Dr. Kate Godfrey Fawcett, child psychologist. She was doing these um, videos. She attends Muslim conferences and events. She talks about their Western ideology, sexualization of children, our children in particular. Um, and if you look at that 15-minute video on YouTube, you can see how her social influences are carrying through. And what I understand from what Andrew and both Sarah have said is what happens, Kakan, is that these videos are shown in mosques, mosques which are frequently by men, 
The men go home to the wives and say, this is what you should be doing, and this is what your school is teaching your kids. So that's why the mums become quite agitated by it all. So it's all very much um, brainwashing or conditioning. The other thing I know about Dr. Kate is that she has had a lot of training about behaviour therapy and modification. Um, she knows how to use words and the power of words and everything else. So, again, I was the only one who said that she's very toxic and dangerous. In fact, she's actually referenced me now in an article, um, bizarrely enough. But I do feel that within Birmingham, the councillors are trying to pacify the situation by not speaking up, whereas what we try to do is respect Sarah and the school because they said any more kind of counter-protests will create conflict. So we try to have dialogue with individuals, whether it's online or face-to-face. -face. Um, we even had, um, not with that school, but with Parkfield, um, meal with the main needs protesters in the curry house. And every time I try to ask the question about how did it go from Trojan horse and prevent to LGBT? You know, that's, that's your aim, but something you diverted. Each time the response has been really ambiguous. And they said, but it's all connected, but I want to know why. Um, as it happened at that particular meal, they said, all the other 15 people who are part of the LGBT community were really lovely and friendly, but don't bring Kakan again. <laughs> Simply because I dare to ask the questions that everybody is afraid to ask. Um, you know, and I, because I know my faith, and, and about Islam, that's why they, they, they fear me, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I have seven people indicate, so if we can show a little bit of restraint, that'd be great. Uh, I've got Catherine next. Yes, it's a kind of, kind of one point about empire, one point about class. So, in talking with, in my previous session about kind of imperial legacies and Brexit, and it's one of the things that's quite, that is, you know, people don't know very much about imperial history is how many of the countries that formed the British Empire had their homophobic laws put on the statute books by the British in a project of Christianisation and getting rid of these bad practices that people of other religions were, you know, being tolerant of. And I think that, you know, talking about and that, 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 that was perhaps the line of discussion um, with, with, with people who are, you, you sort of want to say, well, this is a, a kind of, like, what, that homosexuality is a white British thing. Well, actually, in the long historical context, it was a kind of di different way of that. It was actually about the British going into those and going, going to India and saying, you know, hijras are a bad thing. You got rid of them. You know, it was essentially a try to clamp down on, um, you know, local practices in favour of this kind of one-size-fits-all type of, of Christianity. So I think you know, that is something that also, even within history lessons in schools, is an aspect that might be better teaching the British Empire be brought in to understand some of these um, dynamics. That and the other part I want to make about class is come back to what Dr. said originally about Section 28. I mean, I was at, I was at school in the, in the late 80s. I was 13 in, in 1928 when it came in. And um, I didn't notice it. I learned loads about gays at school, um, but I learned it in a particular place, which was in classics class. Because I went to quite a posh sort of state school and been the town grammar. And they preserve that tradition that there is one place where it's okay to talk about the queers, and that's in relation to ancient Greece. <laughs> 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 all this, so this kind of weird, it's getting to like this weird patronising thing. It's okay for yes. us to do it in Latin, but yes. well, as the proles don't. <laughs> 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 and I think that this is also that you get with the current Tory party, you know. 
boys are eaten, whatever, that's one rule for them, and then it's one rule for everybody else. And the Tory fathers always have been very, very two-faced about this stuff. Absolutely fine, you know, chaps to have their discreet private lives, but, you know, it's not a thing to be public about it. And, that, and I think this is really worth thinking about, like, how, how that plays out as well as sort of the, the broader politics here. I've got uh, session next. Uh, yep, um, thanks for coming, thanks for both speakers. Um, so the question to catch on and then a few points. The question was, I know talking about gender, I, I noticed that most of the pictures of the groups and demonstrations, it's mostly men, and I, I assume that a lot of women feel extra barriers to getting involved. I wonder if you could say something about that. My points are three. Um, firstly, I think that in terms of the point Raquel made about parents and ch parents' rights and children's rights, to be honest, I find the idea that and I, know, and I know this is a hard argument to make consistently because it's so ingrained, but I find the idea that parents can declare their children have the same religion as them actually bizarre yes. and they should be challenged. Yes. So my, my son Omar is two and a half. If I said that he was a Trotskyist child, <laughs> think I was nuts. <laughs> but it's fine to say my child's a Muslim, my child's Christian, and, and so on. Um, and of course the reason people do it is, well, I mean, A, it's just the norm is encouraged and people are worried that you know, their child will escape the net if they live too long, which is probably true. My dad left it till I was 14 to say he wanted to come to mosque, and he, I, I, and he was too late, basically. <laughs> so, you know, he was, okay about, he was okay about that. But, I mean, anyways, that's one thing. The second thing is, I don't know what kind of schools the schools in question are, so that would be, you know, in terms of the, the, the model of school. But regardless of that, there is a wider point here, which is that all this shows why... Um, uh, academies, faith schools, etc., 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 all need to go. You know, it's hard enough in general, given the pressures in society. Like, you know, you know, we we need the most the most democratic and public and egalitarian spaces possible in education, and that implies um, getting rid of getting rid of academies and religious schools. And, and the last point I want to make about Roger Goldsmith is that um, I think, like, beyond the specifics here. There is a general issue in the Labour Party, just people just have no standards. So, <laughs> so like, if it's about certain things, so, you know, so, um, there's a Roger Godsiff thing, then there's Barry Gardner, like, cozying up to Narendra Modi. Um, you know, then there's, the, you know, imagine if that had been Netanyahu, people would be up in arms. But it's like, oh, India, like, do I really know anything about India? Do I really care? You know, people do not have consistent standards. So, even before you get to kind of more sophisticated socialist politics, if people just had like slightly more alive, more sensibilities, where they actually just cared in a vague and consistent way about like oppression, that would be a good start. Um, Jen. Um, hi, I'm Jen. We spoke on the phone. I oh, was going to interview you. I was going to say hi earlier, but I didn't get a chance. Um, so I was going to say uh, a couple of things um, about the Labour Party and the left, and I think I think. I'm, I think I'm actually going to put it quite bluntly, and I say I think the situation in Birmingham, um, the, La the Labour Party in particular, the left doesn't allow that to happen. It's created the conditions for that to happen um, by treating uh, the Asian population in Britain as a homogenous block, um, by treating within that the Muslim population in Britain as a homogenous block, um, and courting the votes of that in a particularly ridiculous way. Um, and by not standing up for, uh, in, this, in the way that the left and Labour movement has done historically in Christian communities, and standing up for those who question the religious conservatism and those fighting against it, 
um, and standing up for those people who are fighting against it, they have not stood up for people who are fighting against religious conservatism and oppression within um, Asian and particularly within Muslim communities. Um, and I think that um, that that situation has been made, um, not exclusively, but a large part of the blame lies with the left and the labor movement in failing to, to do that. Um, and I think we should kind of talk about that a bit. Um, uh, Sasha said some of the things I was going to say about faith schools, so I don't know if I need saying again. Um, but I think it's particularly worrying. So I'm a school worker, I teach in a school in Tottenham. I think it's, um, I'm also not straight, and I think it's been particularly worrying the situation that exists at the moment. I think it's very patchy what is being taught across schools. Um, I think there's a certain complacency within uh, not just the left, but kind of the liberal establishment that we've got legal equality in some senses and I mean literally it's within the last four years in particular this kind of um, and and around pride this year I've noticed it a lot more uh, every business has got a rainbow flag in the window all of that sort of stuff um, and a lot of those people in that institutions reacted to what's going on in Birmingham and in other places with a kind of like shock as if they're surprised this would happen then and you get a lot of the kind of it's 2019, how could this happen to him? The reactions to um, uh, Malia and her, and her partner getting attacked on that bus were, what's oh. how can this happen in 2019? Mm. How it can happen is because we haven't been doing this stuff. Um, and it is patchy across the country, and it's patchy across different schools, um, and faith schools could exist, um, and, um, and, these, and these things are ingrained. Um, I want to ask questions when we talked, and I did the interview with you, we talked a bit about, about, about what what can be done, particularly in Birmingham, but I think it's going to start between up in other places as well. Yeah. I've heard of various things of letters going around parents and stuff in Manchester and Oldham and in East London and a few other places. Um, so we talked about how it's a difficult situation because, and you kind of hinted it in your speech earlier, the section of people who could almost counter-protest are largely white. Um, and there's a difficult dynamic of how you organise to counter protest. I think at the time you were unsure whether you were in favour of any counter protest yeah. or not. And I wonder what you thought now, um, because this has continued and embedded, and I think there's become more centred around the more obviously reactionary characters rather than and less around parents. Um, although I don't think I was necessarily, necessarily not against. I don't think I was necessarily against um, protesting against the parents, but I think it's become more obvious now um, what you thought about that now and what where, where you see the situation going in Birmingham and how you should respond now. Okay, shall I come back to yours first and then come in? Do okay, we have time? Just, let me think two people and then I'll bring you both back. Okay, that's fine. Speak briefly. So, um, Mark? Um, yeah, most of what I was going to say, I think mean, Jeremy's point about complacency is really important. Um, the, so, I think just look at the wider context. Like, we, it's I think from the next show, it's going to be mandatory for all schools to be teaching um, gender identity and, and uh, LGBT. Well, that, that gave people a good example. Um, but it's still very. I, I just think it's, it, is, it is mad, isn't it? That it's it'll be twenty twenty before that's law. Yeah. I, I just find that really bizarre. Like um, those debates about being had when I was at school about like ten years ago. I just, it's, I, I just think um, I just think that the I just feel like we have that, I don't know whether these conversations are happening in the NEU, but um, I assume they are, but um, uh, we need to be going on the offensive, I think, much more. And, and this is coming about as a reactive, it's reactive to protests, 
um, at a school and people are quite surprised by it. Um, like, firstly, we need to be go out full out and like saying what we think that um, uh, what, we, what do we want schools to be teaching? Uh, what do we want? Um, it, we don't want just to have. Surely, we need more than just um, an hour every uh, one hour a year where uh, kids are told by teachers um, that LGBT people exist. Like that, that's not. That is not um, the kind of education we need. We also need things. Which, on a much broader level, things like embedding it within things, other other parts of the curriculum. We need things like, um, what? Why is it? I remember when we did it. When I did my like English literature that, like classes. Um, there was a, I remember the module on love or something like that, and it wouldn't mention the idea that like um, if, you, if you mentioned like um, an LGBT uh, love book or something, you get bonus points because like oh wow, that's really out there. Well, but, um, <laughs> and it's just like things like that that needs to be fully embedded across the curriculum. Um, and then yeah, as well, um, it's about kind of uh, dismantling faith schools. Um, uh, it's about getting rid of academies and um, putting uh, the curriculum in the hands of uh, the teachers and, and the, uh, the communities around. Of, um, although, uh, obviously, democratisation is only one element. If you look at you have got widespread conservatism that can lead to protests outside schools. But I think basically, uh, and then when we do that, that's going to cause conflict and good. Um, we have to bring that, we have to bring that out in the open. Um, if people are going to be homophobic, fine, take them, fight them. Um, don't just. Um, I think if people are going to go to the streets and protest, then we should, we should protest back. No, I think it's um, and uh, yeah, there is still lots of homophobia out there. Um, transphobia. We can't just be complacent about it. Um, I think that that's what one of the most important things we need to do: take take away from the protest and burn it away. From. So I'm just going to take uh, this kind of the mic down uh, and then take the speakers back through. Three really quick things. Uh, first one is the other placard that I saw people having a lot was let children be children. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously there's a there's a really bad side of that, but there's also a kind of good side of that as well, which is that we don't want kids to be tested from the second they walk through the school door. We, you know, we're the people who actually want children to be children, aren't we? So... I think that's quite interesting to talking about that. Um, clause 28, and just nobody's mentioned the link between, um, you know, the fact that that was partly about pointing the finger at the so-called loony left, and, you know, that link. Um, and I think that's likely to come back within this discussion as well. And the third thing was a question about um, uh, LGBT teachers and school education workers and you know what whether there's any specific organization around that just from people I know you know it still seems to be it is difficult for people to come out you know people have this thing but they don't necessarily want to kind of give their personal life out in school but then it's obviously a really positive thing if people can do that and just if there's a discussion around that within this broader um, yeah, let's let's try to work backwards. Um, I think we've, we've going back to your issue about having it embedded in the culture of schools. Um, the thing that may have, well, not we, but what some of the teachers are facing now in those particular schools, Anderton and Hartfield, is that they have tried to encourage that with the, as examples using LGBT, but now on social media as well as in real life as well, that we get criticised heavily because you're saying, oh, that's part of your indoctrination and brainwashing and you're making it sort of, um, you know, you're on a, a hidden agenda. So even if you try to use it as an everyday example to kind of normalise our lifestyle, 
they use it against mm -hmm. us. So that again is something that each individual teacher or school has to take upon themselves. You know, are you going to introduce it as part of your cultural yeah, education system or not? Um, and then from there, it's also about the schools. The one school, Parkfield, uses the books called the No Outsiders books, which is 35, 36 books. And only, I think six of them actually kind of reference in its own way LGBT. Um, and from what I understand, the former CPS Nazir Afzal has, has said that the two books that have given consent to the parents is one is called Antango Makes Three, yes. which is about the two male penguins who adopted an egg. And the other one is My Princess Boy, based on the true story of a mom whose little lad dresses up as a princess and says, I'm a princess, I'm a boy princess. And this is again something that I find quite challenging because I keep saying, if they're based on fact, you can't take it away because that, the people want to share it with the rest of the world. These books are available at Foils, fortunately in Birmingham, it's, it was on display for about a week, which is amazing. Um, you can buy it, you know, online. But again, the parents who are kind of challenging me are saying, that's all part and parcel of your conditioning. You're indoctrinating my kids to, to say it's okay to be part of the LGBT community. And again, they're saying that goes against our moral faiths, our value systems, which is quite unfortunate. Um, so again, it's about looking at the books and what you're using and how you're going to use it. Um, I was at an event recently where um, uh, a colleague, she put up this on the screen as to how RSC will develop. And I think out of all the sessions, there's only four sessions which touch on RSC, and, well, LGBT. So really, in terms of like history and in terms of how we're moving forward, um, if you look at section 28, which was only abolished in 2003, yeah. we've only, LGBT equality has only been around for 16 years. And 16 years later, within a school, we're gonna have only yeah. X percentage yeah. of the curriculum looking at LGBT. So a lot of people see that as progress, but I just think it's not good <laughs> enough. But again, it's, it's challenging that. Um, and again, it's sort of, how do we take it forward? Um, I love what Sarah does. That's all I can say. I love the fact that she is continuing to have that dialogue on a daily basis. And if she feels that the parents want to take the child out of school, let them. That's her mindset, it, which is quite unfortunate. But she says, you know, Kukan, I have to let it happen because it's going to be mandatory next year. But for me, I just think if this is what I call the soft approach and there's little protests happening, I know, like I was saying before, it's happening in London, Manchester, and it, again, it's setting a trend because it'll be one or two parents will come in, <coughs> share their concerns, and then they'll turn around and say, oh, the school is not listening to me. And then suddenly the school or the head teacher or the deputy or whoever will become the villain. And that's something that we have to be mindful of. Um, I also think that when Fatima Shah back in January, February, actually said on the news, I don't want my child to be taught gay, that is when I feel that either the Labour Party or somebody, the council, somebody, somewhere should have stepped in and yeah, says, yeah. actually, you've got it wrong. You know, this is what I need you to, to know about. But for whatever reason, Fatima Shah has disappeared off the radar completely. You know, so I don't know, is it a well-organised global movement or is it sort of local to us or nationwide? The scary thing for me is I think it's a global movement. Um, because I've been watching and researching more about LGBT lessons in schools. I watched a documentary about Brazil, and word for word, the answers that they gave was practically the same answers that yeah. the parents give here. It's about indoctrination, 
conditioning, etc. So that's really unfortunate. So we have to be mindful and listen now. Um, and that's why I put that one up there as well. About challenge opinions, know your history, whether it's LGBT history or faith-based history. Um, listen. And again, it's not about Trojan horse or about being extremism or, you know, prevent strategy. It's just about being lis listening, you know, productively and actively. Um, so I hope that's answered your question on that one. Um, yours about my group being predominantly male. Um, I've tried really hard because I've tried to open it to men and women. Um, there are a few women who have access to the group. Um, they want to be activists or campaigners. I champion one in particular, but unfortunately... She's done a few events and workshops, but it's having a psychological impact on her because of what she's experienced. It's triggering her, so she's backed away. And there's others, women, I don't know why they're not um, coming into the group. Um, I thought it was just my group, but it seems to be across the board in Birmingham. I'm not too sure how it works in Birmingham, uh, London or elsewhere. Do you have many women take up LGBT spaces? I'm not too sure. But in Birmingham, it just seems to be very much a closet, if that makes sense. Um, and in terms of the, the political aspects as well, yeah, I do agree that you know more should be done for both Labour, Tories, Lib Dems. But again, I feel that they're abusing the community. They're not listening to us and what our concerns are. Um, with regards to the two schools, Parkfield is an, an academy where it all started up. And Anderton is a state school. Mm. And that's the difference. Um, Parkfield listens a lot to the governors and the governing body. Um, and that changes the dynamics. Yeah. And in regards to the other political aspects, I completely forgot what they were. <laughs> but going back to the counter-protests, I still feel that we need to do something. In respect to Sarah, I don't feel it's fair to have a... Even though I do want to sometimes think I need to be at the school gates, I keep thinking that if we're going to have a protest, it has to be much more creative. I've actually said, you know, what about a mini pride outside the school gates or something, bring the community together, or a multi-faith event, or um, I'm working on uh, with somebody to, what we're going to do, hopefully, is read out the books, make the six books that are raising concerns, get it all recorded, and then just play it in the schools and see what happens with that one. So I'm thinking the way to protest is be more creative, include the community, bring on board the residents and the parents and whoever who are in support of LGBT inclusivity and take it forward. Um, currently, we're kind of working on it. Um, fortunately, in Birmingham, Shaquille, Amir and his sister have had an injunction order on them. But apparently, I heard that last night they were still protesting a bit further away from the school. And they used a huge megaphone, which still disturbed the residents and the school. Yeah, um, well, so the first thing is, I think, um, I was glad Gemma and Jim said what they said, because I think, on reflection, there's an important corrective about what I was saying about the Labour Party and the left at the moment. Uh, I think that, um, so there's, there's two two things I wanted, more things I wanted to say. I mean, one, I think it's worth, you just touched on this, but it is such a small part of the curriculum and most of the curricula, most of the books on the shelves in the school show heterosexual relationships. Most of the books on the shelves show all the normative abuse of heterosexual love and relationships and women's roles and men's roles. And yet, 
these, these tiny amount of books, and they say we're indoctrinating them. The indoctrination <laughs> is massively, massively on the other side. Massively on the other side. And schools, I mean, I strongly agree that parents should not be able to say what their children are going to be. And schools are the places where children should be able to break out. We create those spaces for children to discover who they are and who, who they want to be. And it, that is why I think this is incredibly important. I also think um, I was wrong. So I said that I was never challenged by children. And I remembered that maybe five years ago, um, so I've, al- I've always done the sex ed in our school uh, because there were not many men teachers and we split the genders in year six and it was a very poor offering uh, but it was only done in year six. Panic before they go to secondary school and meet people, of, you know, all this sort of stuff. And we had the boys uh, in the thing and these were all um, white British boys, white British working class boys. Um, and something came up about... Um, gay relationship uh, and they went Ugh. And my, so I paused and my colleague who uh, not as left wing as myself went what on earth you do? And went right off at these boys in a real sort of you can't say that that's disgusting it's a and I said, unfortunately it was the end of the session I walked out and we talked about it I said I'm not sure that's quite the way to deal with this so we went back and we had a discussion with them and we said, we can't tell you what to think. You have the right to do this. You know? but you've got to treat people with respect and, and dignity. I can't tell you that you have to like that there are homosexual relationships, but you do have to treat people with respect and dignity. And I think that, that discourse is important. And I think that's the way to deal with it. I mean, I, no more than I should be able to have, let, the parents should be able to lecture to their children that they shouldn't like <coughs> uh, gay people should I be able to tell children exactly what they think but you have to try and tease through the arguments you have to try and win those children and open, open windows in their minds that makes them think hang on this is something different from what I've heard at home Alex and Duncan don't think what I've been brought up to think so there is a different option out there but I think we will, we will make a mistake if we are didactic about it. I think we have to do, create those spaces to have those discussions and debates. Okay, I've just got three more speakers uh, coming off um, from the floor, um, and then we'll, that will take us, we'll take the speakers back one more time, and then that will do it. So I've got Bob. Uh, so much of what I said has been repeated. I just on the, just on the, um, society versus the family thing it's in the communist manifesto it's just very clear you know the um society like society the your family's subordinate is the it's the ethics whether that be in relation to um uh, that's the kind of nub of a lot of these things about parental choice and choice in education more generally and and, and when we see, see things we don't like you know uh no, folks, and running the history. It's not. It's not so. Oh no, no. But you live in an anti-imperialist household. It's we want to challenge what's happening. Um, I was gonna. The most. The most unpleasant political activity I've ever done was outside in full crown court, where there were uh, throughout the court case of what kind of became known as the Asian grooming gangs. The the BMP were there uh, all over. You know, they, and that's like a big part of what they do with this sort of pure old fascination in child sexuality. 
Um, so it's really interesting to think that, and actually the, the, the evidence is that the one thing that is, uh, leans, leans against that is decent sex education. And, you know, so Duncan defined it quite positively, and children having the ability to explore and we're all for it. But actually a lot of, you know, a lot of what we're dealing with is like there are increasing avenues for sexual conduct. And just, you know, we want kids to know about consent and have a basic self-confidence to be able to go out in the world and not, um, and you know, there are big, big holes in that. Um, but I was wondering, so what are the, you can imagine there being various grouping is kind of be like wanting to get in on this and uh, so you know have the far right been sniffing around have people belong and how, how, you, how, how, how do you deal with that um, and yeah um, uh, I, um, I just wanted to say how amazing what you're doing is um, I, I work in a power station in Sheffield and over the last couple of months, um, I've heard some very, very Islamophobic conversations and prejudice in, in my workplace that is, I, I found quite shocking, but that I've been quite naive about it, I suppose, um, at a college of people um, literally believing in conspiracy theories about uh, an Islamic takeover of the UK, um, equating all, all of Islam with ISIS, it's like, or isn't that the terrorist religion? Um, and what what's going on here? What you're doing is cutting through loads of the crap, um, you know, the um, the um, conservatives in the Muslim community, Birmingham, and um, rest and far right. But it is it's um, the the politics is is very very bad. Um, and I just wanted to ask, um, what about the parents who support that outsiders? Have you had any conversations? In the Asian community in Birmingham, with parents who support this um, initiative, um, and uh, what do they think about the parents who are opposing yeah, I think most of what I was going to ask has been covered, but um, it's just in terms of support in Birmingham. Um, uh, you were saying that you want to have a more creative <coughs> approach to this and try to involve communities and so on and so forth. Um, what about MPs, Birmingham MPs? Because I'm not, as far as I understand it, when the demonstrations were on, I think Jess Phillips yeah, she, uh, yeah, she visited it, yeah. and they said to her, you're our MP, why don't you support us? And she said, well, because I don't agree with what you're doing. <coughs> so there is, is there any more uh, support besides <coughs> you know, Jess Phillips or whatever that you could call upon? Uh, you may have already covered this, but um, I think you're right, it does need a, a wider. But the problem is, if we allow things to stand as they are, then de facto, parents have determined what goes in the curriculum, and de facto, they've determined what children can and can't learn. So I think it is, it is a, a battle we've really got to take up and win. Okay, we'll just say this comment. Um, right. So this is this isn't about Birmingham. It's about uh, a wider issue about, um, if you like, equality teaching and equality in education. Um, I'm not a teacher. I'm an academic, um, and I'm I've had a petition uh, raised against me and twenty nine others. Um, uh, for a letter 
published in the Sunday Times a petition of 4,000, 4, 6,000 people condemning me as someone who has oppressive attitudes. Um, and uh, I've been condemned by the General Secretary of my union there in public. Um, this is a letter that asserts our right to research um, issues of transgenderism in universities. Now, two people signed it from the Open University, me and a colleague who's a professor of criminology. I've signed it because my uh, area is sport ethics. Now, if everyone in this room thinks that uh, the, the question of trans people's participation in sport under the gender that they identify as is absolutely straightforward and unproblematic and all the rest of it, then okay, you just don't agree because I think it's, it's a tricky one. If you think the question of um, allocation, uh, prison allocation, according to express gender or biological sex, is absolutely straightforward, there's only one answer, then again, we disagree. So I think it's a tricky one. So we both researched in these areas, and we are both, um, if you like, constrained by Stonewall's guidelines. Um, and Stonewall's guidelines require that in universities, in research meetings, and in seminars, there is no question about people's uh, gender identity. Now, obviously, we're raising questions that are to do with the relationship between biological sex and gender identity. We're raising, discussing those questions. So when I hear people say, right, what we want is uh, you to show respect to people, but then there's a discussion, that's great. When I hear people say, un absolutely uncritically, we just have to push back at any kind of um, querying, if you like, that's the right word, um, of the LGBT uh, plus rights as they are conceived, as they are presented by organisations such as Stonewall, then I think there's a problem. Now, I've enormously enjoyed and benefited from hearing what people have said today. Um, I think I should be allowed to say, you know, in a research seminar, what I think about trans inclusivity in sport. And I've got a pretty liberal, pretty soft line on it, in fact. Um, but that should be open for discussion. Currently, I think Stonewall is not making that open for discussion. That's why the original letter was there. And there's been this absolutely massive pile-on, right, uh, which has, it's horrible to be on the other end of it, um, but in terms of, uh, uh, in terms of the policy of respect and discussion, Fine, but that's not what's happening out there at the level of this kind of academic discourse in, in universities. I should say, by the way, I'm not a member of the committee. Just so that's good. Thanks. Um, so we're going to take back the, the speakers now uh, for five minutes each, and then we'll call it a day. Well, call it a break. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Duncan, join us. Yeah, I'm just thinking about John's. Uh, um, I mean, uh, so I think I think I am absolutely all against any form 
of restricted discussion and debate uh, on these issues because of, I think that's unhelpful. I do think there is a problem, which is that I think the trans community feels is probably one of the most of the best and it feels their questions about their decision all the time and I think that we have to be very sensitive to that. Now, this sounds like a fudged answer and I suppose it is a fudged answer. Um, I have to say that, you know, the children I teach, the oldest they get is 11, so it's a, it's a different discussion, you know, and I, so I'm not sure I'm qualified to come back on your point. Job. But I, that, that's as much of a response as I think I could probably give to that. Um, um, well, I, I just assume that probably there are people in the room who like who sign the letter. But well, I sign the letter. Yeah. So, I mean, I can give a full reply if you'd like. Chair, with all due respect, this is clearly a very important discussion, and I'm not trying to propose we close down discussion this or that it's out of bounds or whatever. But it's actually beyond the scope of this particular session. I yes, I yeah. there, there is about five minutes left. Okay. So, uh, sorry. Yes. Wait, um, that being the case, you can try the time. Okay. Yeah, leave that issue aside for now. Um, just trying to go back to councillors. Yeah, we have Jess Phillips. We've got um, local councillors involved as well. Um, Councillor Kerry Jenkins, she's actually... Um, she has quite a number of heated debates with Shaquille online, um, and I've spoken to Kerry, and there's others, and, but unfortunately their voices aren't getting heard, they're not get, getting picked up so much by the media, they get, they get picked up by the local media, but not so much by the, the national, but there are a number of people who are on board with that, they're supportive, and they're looking at ways forward as well, so we're constantly looking for resolutions, um, but it's quite that battle, isn't it, really, trying to figure it out, so the councillors are involved in that, um, and Shaquille keeps saying, you know, you... So he'll say to Kerry that you're like this, that, and that, and she has to come back and reason with him. And that no matter how much we try to reason with Shaquille and his supporters, they, they keep saying that we're being unreasonable and intolerant of their Islamic faith belief systems. So that's where we are with that. Um, going back to parents, there are some parents who have been supportive. Um, there's a number of residents that I've spoken to myself. Um, they're very much proactive and really positive, but again, their voices aren't being heard. And I think because it's so close... Um, I don't know if you know about who's in the news, but, but some of the um, people from counter-protesters Seeds, which is supporting the education of equality and diversity in schools, they were pelted by, with eggs. They went out one evening and they got pelted. And some of the residents felt intimidated by that as well because they heard from other protesters that their windows will get smashed and what have you. So there's, there's much more to it than just, you know, our parents on board or not. There's, there's fear and intimidation and harassment, unfortunately. Um, as I said, but the residents and some of them are, are speaking to me. So, so there is some of it, but again, it's, we're actually having a meeting, a solidarity meeting on Thursday in Birmingham. And we're hoping that we're going to get to hear some voices from the parents and the residents, hopefully, to see what their take is. Because one of the main things that I keep hearing is that I hear the protesters, but I'm not hearing from the residents. I'm not hearing from the children. And the children in particular are my main concern. How are they dealing with this? Um, and with regards to the far right, um, yeah, Nick Griffin and Christian Concern and Christian Voice and EDL and all the others, Katie Hopkins in particular, they're jumping on board and they think it's great because suddenly the 
majority of the Muslim protesters and these far-right, EDL, etc., they've found commonality, you know, which is an all-time love for me. And it's just like, isn't this great? Because they're, they're, they're sort of, yeah, they're, they're kind of like, they're, 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 they're loving it because suddenly they've got LGBT agenda and the wording that they use and all the, the sort of criminal activity that goes on online is wonderful for them. Um, you know, and I'm just recently being picked up on their radar recently, so I'm just mindful of that. Um, you know, and I have people raise concerns about, you know, can you go out independently and you talk and everybody's concerned about my health and safety because when they talk about protesters, even though Seeds is predominantly white, I'm the one who's in the firing line, as it were, on, on the media and what have you. So, um, yeah. But I do feel that it needs to be... We are hearing that the narrative is white LGBT versus brown Muslim protesters. Um, and so if you do have a very diverse school, community or whatever, please, please, please be the ally, listen up and do what you can. Um, because as I said, for me personally, it is becoming an emotional issue more than anything. Because I just think, how, how, how is this happening? You know, I, I showed you the photos of when I was at primary school. Um, great days, great teachers, we got on with our life, you know. Whatever faith belief system we had, Christian or whatever, we took it home and that's how we practiced. But here it's spilling out and it's like crossing boundaries and barriers. And I've never known parents to dictate the terms and conditions of an education system. Because if you are to the faith, um, I keep saying that, you'd be against art, you would be against music, dance, drama, any form of creative therapy, because that's not permissible in Islam. You wouldn't have anybody going for sports because you're showing flesh. So, you know, you could quite unpick it quite easily. But again, it's about doing that research and finding out what does the book actually say about these particular issues. It is, you know, a great read, but pick what you can. Thank you very much. We run Ideas for Freedom every year. For more talks and discussions, come and join our now legendary annual socialist summer getaway above Hebden Bridge in West Yorkshire on the 8th to the 11th of August. This will be a long weekend of music, campfires, food, drink and socialist discussions, workshops, tree climbing and messing about in the great outdoors. Open to all. More information and tickets from £20, including food, at workersliberty.org forward slash camp.